Hello and welcome to the Active Growth Podcast. Today we are continuing the topic that we have been talking about in the last few episodes, which is how to get free traffic to your website. Once you're in a position where you have you have your online course, you have a product, you've picked your market and you have something to sell, now you need to scale that up and you need to get people to actually come to your website and sell whatever your product is on a regular basis. So how do we do that? without having to spend lots of money on traffic, without having to spend money on ads. And to help us answer this question, for today's episode, Hannah sat together with Matt Diggity. Matt Diggity is one of the leading experts in the SEO space. As you'll hear, Matt has a variety of different businesses and projects related to search engine optimization. And he's been doing this for a long time and that gives him a really wide overview and he has a lot of breadth of experience in the SEO space. So listen in to get basically a crash course in SEO from one of the leading experts in the space in this episode. Matt will tell us exactly how he would go about starting SEO. So basically from scratch, how do you even start to do the things on your website you need to do to start getting search traffic. He'll reveal exactly what to do and in what order. He'll also share his favorite tools to use and he'll share some of the mistakes that he made when he was starting out so we can hopefully skip past them and get right to the good stuff and start ranking for some good keywords. If you've been thinking of trying out SEO as your main traffic strategy and if you're unsure if this is the right thing to do for you and your business, or you're unsure how to get started, this episode will really help you out. And if you want to leave a comment or leave a voice message for future podcast episodes, you can go and find the show notes at activegrowth.com forward slash SEO mat, all one word. So activegrowth.com forward slash SEO M-A-T-T. That is for show notes, comments, and much more. And with that, I'll hand it over to Hannah. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Active Growth Podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. So for those who don't know Matt, Matt Diggity, he's the founder and organizer of the SEO conference. He's also blogging or writing about everything SEO related on diggitymarketing.com. And he has a couple of agencies, I guess, by now. Yeah, I've got my hands in a whole bunch of things related to SEO. Like, as you mentioned, the Chiang Mai SEO conference, and uh, I blog at diggitymarketing.com. I have a, an affiliate marketing agency, LeadSpring, a client agency, The Search Initiative, and I have a service called Authority Builders for Building bas- Backlinks. So as you can see, I got my, my fingers in all the little pawns related to SEO. So as you can see, we're in really good hands to talk about SEO. Now, Matt, the people listening to this podcast are people who follow the active growth system, which basically means that they are solopreneurs and they started with either a coaching project or maybe uh, an an online product, so an e-course or something like that. They have something to sell. They found their audience. And my question for you now is, is SEO valuable for this type of people? I would say very much so. I mean... Thinking back to about eight to 10 years ago, I was in these exact same shoes. So I was a solopreneur as well and just trying to figure out how to make some money online. And I didn't have a team. I didn't have a budget or anything like that. 
So I think the value out of SEO is you're not spending money to get traffic. You can use your own sweat and blood to try to get organic rankings, which will come for free. So I think it's very, very applicable for the solopreneur. All right. That's good to hear because I think online we often hear these growth hacks and uh, that kind of stuff. And SEO is often disregarded as too complicated or maybe it takes too long. What would you say about that? Well, uh, there's no doubt about it that SEO is complicated and it's going to continue to be more complicated. I mean, if you think about things, when you're trying to get SEO traffic, you're up against pretty much the brightest minds that are trying to game the company with the most PhDs on the planet, namely Google. So that's that's the game that you're trying to play in. But if you do know the rules and you and you can dedicate yourself to figuring out SEO and experimenting around, the the rewards are incredible. I mean, as you probably know already, like click through rate and getting clicks from organic results is much, much better than paid results anyways. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, just imagine like you're searching for, I don't know, what's the best washing machine for my house or something like that. And you're going to see a lot of results on Google and you're going to see results that are clearly marked as ads. They got the little green like AD uh, marker on that. And then you have organic ads or organic listings that are just going to list out, okay, this is the best washing machine of 2019, something like that. Which one are you more likely to click on? The one that paid to get the result or the one that earned their way there? Yeah, no, the organic one for sure. That, that makes total sense. So if um, I created this online product, let's say I have a public speaking course, how would you go about starting this whole SEO game? Ah, okay. Well, first things first, if you have a course or something and you want to get it listed in Google and ranked in Google, you need to have it a website, so to speak. You need to have it hosted somewhere. Let me ask you, um, where are most of your, you know, the people that are following the, 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 the course that you're running, where are they mostly putting like their courses online? Is it like a Udemy type thing or are they hosting their own websites? They're hosting their own websites. So we really advocate to have everything self-hosted so that people have the complete control over their content. Excellent. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that 100%. You also get access to all the levers that you would need to optimize your website for Google. So everything starts off with on-site optimization. So going into your website and making sure that your keywords that you're targeting are in the right places and not overly optimized in the right places. So like some examples of that would be the title and then after that would be the headings and the subheadings and making sure it's in your content in the right amounts. So it, it can be quite complex. So what I do recommend for anybody first getting into SEO is uh, everyone says, you know, you can learn anything online and that that should get you to where you want to be eventually. And that's true. Um, if you if you go the route of, you know, watching YouTube videos and stuff like that, you're going to be picking through different places and trying to piece things together to find all the correct rules. What I'd recommend doing instead is trying to find a single like on-site SEO definitive guide or something like that, or perhaps even you know getting a course that will walk you through the steps because the learning curve can be quite steep and you just need to know what actually to optimize in terms of the on-site SEO. Then past on-site, there's you know, technical SEO, making sure your website's very fast, 
make sure you got HTTPS installed, make sure you're telling Google what are the right pages for them to index and telling them to ignore the pages that are maybe quite thin that don't add value to your site so Google's not wasting their time on assets that you don't want them to see. And then lastly, I mean, we're skipping around a lot right here, but lastly, the third part of the pie would be offsite SEO, where you're sending and building backlinks to your, your course website. So at this point, you didn't talk about uh, creating blog posts or that type of stuff. Do you think that comes later on, that the things you're saying now is what people should be focused on in the beginning? Yeah, well, yeah, you, you called me out on that one. So you definitely need a baseline to start with. Google's not going to rank... Uh, anything without content and we see this come up a lot with uh, like for example we have a lot of clients in the photography niche and they want to build websites that are 100% photos of their work and I totally get that but Google won't rank just photo sites so you need content so I'd recommend starting with at least five to ten pages of solid content on your site and let's say we'll go with this photography example as well let's say you have a course on how to take wedding photos or something like that. And so probably your homepage or maybe some inner page is going to be completely targeted around how to take wedding photos and you have a how-to guide and there's examples, step-by-step, -step, a lot of content, a lot of great content on how to take wedding photos. So that's your base piece of content that you would try to rank in Google for this specific term. But that's not enough. Google won't rank a one-page website about a certain topic. So you're going to need some supporting articles about it. So maybe you go into um, supporting articles that are like how to take uh, wedding photos in tropical islands. And then another might be the best makeup for wake wedding photos and stuff like that. So starting to roll out at least five to ten supporting pieces of content that are related to that specific term that you're trying to rank and starting with the baseline right there. Like you're not even going to come close to ranking unless you have this kind of setup with the main pillar article and then supporting articles around it. And then after that, um, this falls into the second part of your question. I would definitely start rolling out and keeping a schedule of uh, new content coming out over the coming months, at least once per month, the more the better. And just the same kind of thing, related content, it's got to be good content. Um, don't repeat yourself in different articles. Google doesn't like that at all. And just make sure you, have, you stick to a schedule and get that thing rolling out month after month. When you say related content, do you have some kind of strategy to come up with those ideas? Yeah, for sure. So everything in SEO starts with keyword research. And there's, a, there's many different ways to do it, but I recommend using a tool called the Ahrefs. <laughs> we had Tim on the podcast just a little while ago. So um, yeah, people should know about Ahrefs by now. Okay, yeah, he always beats me to the punch on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so Ahrefs is great because it allows you to plug in your competition. So looking at identifying who would be your competition and saying, okay, this guy is ranking for a lot of good stuff let me throw him into Ahrefs and reverse engineer all the keywords that he's ranking for. And when you toss him in there, you'll be able to see, okay, he's definitely ranking for the keywords I want to rank for, uh, wedding photography, how-to guide, and that kind of stuff. But he's also got all these different keywords that are related to it. So you reverse engineer this guy, and then maybe you reverse engineer maybe three or four other people, and you're going to find all these little subtopics that are going to be great ideas to talk about 
on your blog. From there, then you would suggest having some kind of content calendar to um, roll out that content on a consistent basis. Yeah. And then we now have our pieces of content. We know that we start like uh, posting at least once a month. What's the next step? Yeah, and then we rewind back to all these different steps that I skipped a long time ago, and we get back to that uh, on-site optimization. So taking that content and making sure that it's optimized in the correct way. So again, looking at the titles and the headings and making sure your main keywords are introduced in the title. Um, some tips regarding to that is, let's say um, your main keyword is how to take wedding photos. So you would take the title, like your, your SEO title, it's, um, it's an HTML code, and you would put those exact words, how to take wedding photos towards the front of the title. So keep them together in the string. And then if you're going to add some fluff onto the end of it, like in 2018 or a 2018 ultimate guide, you do that at the end of your title. Okay. So that's going to completely optimize your page for how to rank for writing photos by putting it in the front and keeping it together in the stream. Um, after that, I would say the next most important place to put keywords would be the heading. So your H1 and same kind of rules there. Just keep them towards the front of the H1. But I like to scramble them up. Don't use the same uh, exact phrase you use for your title as the H1. So scramble them up a little bit. Okay. And then, so basically, you have, after that, I would say it's the H2s, H3s, and H4s. These are your, your subheadings. And I also like to think of them as subtopics. So that would break down your main topic, which is the H1, how to take wedding photos, into its smaller parts. So you might get into how to take wedding photos in in low light or in bright light, for example. And that's where you break down the main topics. Now Google has a, a very easy to read structure of what your article is about. They see that main topic right there in the H1. You've, you've laid it out really nice and easy for their crawler and their, their parser to be able to understand it. And you've broken it down into subtopics. Now, now that all that's nice and dandy, uh, there's other bells and whistles that you want to throw into your content as well. So uh, keyword density. So this is a highly debated uh, aspect of SEO, but mm -hmm. you probably don't want to write the word photography every 10th word or every every fifth word and just make it seem like your content is spammed for that word photography. So I recommend maximum one to two percent keyword density for any part of your keyword phrase. So the, the words how, how to wouldn't really count, but wedding and then photo photography or photos. So I would make sure wedding and photos and photography don't exceed one to 2% density of the content. Mm -hmm. After that, you can insert what we like to call authority links or links out to other sites that are authorities in the niche. So maybe like a wiki how article on how to take photos or maybe a very uh, interesting article from New York Times about wedding photos, something like that. At the end of the day, Google wants to make sure that you're serving up content that's going to answer the query and it's going to help people. So it's ironic to think that you you have the, uh, the confidence to say you wrote the best article 
on the topic and you don't need to reference anything else in that article. So Google likes when you link out to other credible sources. Which is a bit contradictory, I think, for a lot of people to have that feeling of like, oh, I'm sending people away from my website to another website. Yeah, totally. Uh, it goes against like all thought about conversion and stuff like that. If you're giving people an exit from your website, that's a bad thing, right? But uh, the <laughs> I've done a lot of testing on this and the benefit of linking out to a, an authority site and keeping it do follow instead of no follow, which is another uh, SEO jargon type thing, is quite substantial compared to the opposite of not linking out to an authority site. And, and I, have, um, I have some interesting articles that have tested this as well that I can refer your audience to. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure that we link that up in the show notes of this episode. All right, so at this point, we have our content. We made sure that it's optimized, that we have those uh, H1s and keyword density, that we have links to authority sites. Next step, what should we be doing, Matt? Okay, so now we've just optimized the main page, the main pillar page, whatever you like to call it. So now it's time to go in and rinse and repeat on the supporting content. So your blog posts, your other subtopic pages that you're using to support that main piece of content, the same rules apply. You optimize the headings, the titles, the keyword density, you link out to authority sites. And again, there's a lot of nitty gritty that we're skipping over. I have an on-site SEO guide that can walk people through this as well. But we, at this point, we continue to optimize the supporting articles. And now we get into inter-page on-site SEO. So we every single article itself has been optimized with regards to itself, but now we need to interlink these pages together. So in general, a very, very easy rule of thumb to kind of simplify this whole idea of interlinking pages together is to basically interlink from one page to another if you want to rank that target page and if it's relevant to the current piece of content. If it's not both of those, don't bother linking it. So what that will do is when you link from one page to another, it's like a vote from Google seeing that this page that I'm linking from is similar to the page that I'm linking to. So if they're relevant to each other, that boosts the relevance of the receiving page. In addition to that, it spreads around a concept called link juice. So whenever any page on a website is getting backlinks, those are links from external sites, that's a good indicator to Google that this page is trustworthy, that it should rank. So when you're interlinking your pages on your site, you're passing around that juice and you're spreading the love. So make sure you're only interlinking to pages that you wanna rank and the ones that are relevant as well. Okay, interesting. So right, we have our website, we have our content, we have our optimized content, we have the interlinks. This is everything that we can do on our site. At this point, is there any chance that we'll already get uh, Google traffic? There is a slight chance. So definitely back in the day uh, when the Google landscape was less competitive, you know, you could just build a, a site and you might have some pages ranked on page one, uh, depending on the, the, I don't know, the competition for these particular keywords. And it still does happen. So in some foreign niches, for example, like we're doing some stuff here in Thailand and we built the page from scratch and we started off on page one. It's it's a matter of competition. And if you choose the right niche, um, should I say right niche? Let, let's rewind back and say if you choose a non-competitive niche, 
it's definitely possible you could end up getting on page one right off the bat and pulling some traffic. Is that the right niche? Uh, that might just mean that it's just not competitive enough to be worth it. So that's why I wanted to retract on saying that's it's right and say it's non-competitive instead. All right. That's a very um, affiliate way of approaching things, right? Where you pick your niche and then you look at the competition and you hope that you'll be able to rank and that it will be profitable. Most of our uh, listeners will probably have chosen their product based on their own expertise and the uh, um, the market research that they did to actually find a problem that they could solve for people. So unfortunately, it might be in some more competitive niches, um, which at that point, probably just building out their own website is uh, is not going to be sufficient. Or am I getting that wrong? No, it could be. I mean, I would say most cases, this is not enough. Like after you built the website, that's probably not enough to to start making money at least from organic SEO, simply because of the competition levels these days. So after that point, you're going to have to start building backlinks. And that's the off-site SEO stage of SEO. And this is where it gets uh, a little bit more convoluted. All right. That sounds scary. So with the backlink situation, so why backlinks are interesting, at least with regards to Google, is back in the days when there were multiple search engines competing for our attention, we had Yahoo and AOL at a search engine, Hotbot, like all these different guys. And it was kind of a neck and neck race for a while. And then the, the founders, Google, went with their hypothesis of what would be the most easy way to rank search results or most effective way to rank search results. And they came up with this page rank algorithm, which is based on backlinks. So they put their faith in this backlink as a, as a high value metric for assessing whether a website should rank or not. And the, the results you can see are they, they won. They won the race, right? So backlinks are still very, very much so baked into their algorithm. They, they use them quite heavily, even to this day, to determine whether a website should rank or not. So even though we might have the best piece of content that answers the question how to take wedding photos, it still would not rank number one unless it has some votes from other websites saying it should be there. So this is where it gets quite interesting because the entire internet knows the value of a backlink now. They know what it can do for other people. So getting backlinks for free can be quite challenging, but it's still possible. I'm assuming most of your, uh, most of your listeners are interested in white hat sustainable ways for ranking. So <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So we'll stick to that. Um, but one, one very simple way to, to get backlinks is just to do outreach. So reaching out and emailing other websites in your niche related to photography in this particular example, reaching out to these guys and offering them something in exchange. So most typical form of exchange for a backlink is content and this is most most likely uh, interpreted as a guest post so you would reach out to people you'd email them and say hey how's it going I really like your website um, I've been writing a lot in this field and here's some samples of my work and you would link out to some samples and say I'd like to see if I can write for you and contribute to your already awesome blog um, let me know and I can get started sending you an example and if you reach out enough to these people, some of them are going to say yes. And then when you write that article for them, 
you make sure to insert a backlink to one of your very, very good resources on the same topic to make their article more strong. And it's an, it's an understood thing in the industry these days. People know that they're getting free content and you're probably going to have a link in there. And that's just how this whole, uh, whole environment kind of works these days. And it's still very effective for getting backlinks and backlinks get you ranked. All right. We love giving people one of those 30 day challenges, um, things that they can do to get started with this. What would be your suggestion for one of these 30 day challenges? What should they be doing? Okay, this this one's interesting because I just got my little cousin into SEO about, I don't know, it's about a month, about a, actually a year ago to this day, actually. Yeah, last Thanksgiving, I was at a Thanksgiving dinner with my family in the United States and my cousin was talking about, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm just so completely over going and working in a cubicle and working... 60 hour weeks, making someone else a lot of money. So I'm just looking for other avenues of making money. And I was like, oh, well, very interesting that you should come talk to me about that. <laughs> so uh, what do we just, I decided to do, I bought him an affiliate website that was making a certain amount of money. And I said, okay, here, I'm going to buy you this website. You take care of this website. You're going to work on this website until I'm paid back and then we'll give you, we'll split the money 50-50. And this will be your training ground and this will be how you start learning SEO and ranking websites and stuff like that. And he's, he's doing great, nice. he's, he's doing awesome with it. So get, rewinding this back to um, a 30-day challenge, basically he came up with this one himself. Um, he's gonna send 10 emails a day, every single day for 30 days and with a 10% conversion rate he should get one link per day. How's he doing with that? We're going to have to check up on him. But um, I was proud of him for coming up with that one. I think it's quite aggressive. If you want to start dabbling into it and easing your way in, I might ease that down to uh, five emails a day or three emails per day. But I think that's pretty, that's pretty good, especially for someone just starting out that wants to hit the ground running hungry. I actually think that's amazing because one of the things that people are often so afraid about is rejection. And in, in the case that you're afraid about rejection, you basically give the power to someone else, right? Whereas if your goal for this 30 day challenge is to send a certain amount of emails a day, you can actually feel good about already sending those 10 emails. And then, well, if nine reject you and maybe one says, yes, that's still a win. And you actually did what you have set out to do during those 30 days. So that's, I think that's a really good challenge. Well said. And yeah, you're going to have to get over a rejection very, very quickly if you're doing manual outreach, which is how a lot of people do their SEO these days. Like if you have a website, just think about how many of these emails you already get and how many of them oh. have you answered so far. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, yeah, definitely. It is It is one of those scary things. I think it's so much easier to write an article on your own blog and to dabble around with that rather than actually reaching out to the world and asking them if you can contribute. And that's also why I believe that many solopreneurs never do it and they don't get those backlinks to actually rank their website. Yeah, you, you kind of got to get over that. I mean, there's other ways to get backlinks that are less uh, rejection riddled for the people that want to ease into it without having to deal with this rejection concept. There's a, I mean, you can do stuff like this right now. Go on a 
go on a podcast and I, I'm thinking I'll probably get a backlink out of it. Um, <laughs> but there's also stuff like you can do roundups where you'll reach out to big influencers in the niche. So you would reach out to major photographers and find their email addresses and say, hey, I'm, I'm creating a, a super big post about 30 experts and their best tips on how to create, take wedding photos in tropical islands. I'd really love your feedback on that. So what happens here is you get these experts to help write your content. They're going to come back and they're going to say, you know, with one or two or maybe a paragraph long of their best tips. And so you put together this big post and then you reach out to these guys after it and say, hey, I, I have your post up and I have your contribution. Thanks so much for this. I was wondering if you could share it on your Facebook or your Twitter. So now you got all these influencers sharing around your article and you're very, very likely to get backlinks, maybe even backlinks from them themselves, from their authoritative websites. And that's a very, there's the rejection rate on that one is much, much lower because people have egos and they want to be on websites. That's a really interesting point. People love to talk about themselves and feel as an authority. So the moment that you actually put them in those spotlights and ask them a question that they feel that they can answer, then definitely they are more likely to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right. So do social links or sharing on social, is that helping with SEO? Sharing on social can help in, in some in some ways, but it's not directly tied into the algorithm. So there's, there's a few different ways that it can help is first, if you share on social and there's a lot of people taking a look at it and reading it, it's going to send traffic to your website. What that traffic does, especially if someone has Google Analytics installed or someone's using the Chrome browser, it's going to allow Google to be able to figure out how people interact with your content. So if people come from a social link like a Facebook share and go to your website, and they click around on your website for you know, 40 minutes and they read multiple pages, that's a great indicator to Google that your content is good and you'll get a bonus for that. So that's one way that social can help. And another way social can help is I've ran a high amount of tests. I'm an engineer background and I'm super geeky with this SEO stuff. So I've ran a lot of tests and found that it seems as if Google is using social shares as an indicator of the possibility that a bunch of backlinks could have happened. So they're used as justification for an influx of backlinks. If you think about it like this, if, if a website just receives 30 backlinks in a week, but it's completely crickets on Facebook and Twitter and anything social, that's pretty weird, yeah. right? Backlinks are a pretty rare situation in the real world. Like for any of you website owners, you know, just think about this. How often do you link out to other websites? It's pretty dang rare. But how often do you share something on Facebook? It could be every day, mm -hmm. right? So there has to be a decent balance between social activity and a heavy backlink campaign. If you have a, if you have a little backlink campaign, if there's just a few dripping in every week, then you don't need to worry about that stuff. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, is there anything else that we should cover? Something that you think people should definitely know about or some mistakes that they should absolutely avoid? The first time I got into affiliate SEO was in about 2008, 2009. And I went with something that's my passion. I really like yoga. And that's what I did for my first niche. And I was using some software to help me figure out what is a very low competition keyword in the niche. And I figured out the keyword was yoga travel. So like yoga and travel together and had to 
nice chunk of search volume and low competition. So that's what I did. I went for something that I was interested in and I started blogging about it, made a website, started building backlinks and I started to rank number one for yoga travel, which was cool. Um, I had a wind under my belt and that felt good. But one problem about it is I've quickly learned that people like yogis don't necessarily like to spend a lot of money. <laughs> so when they research something, you know, like to do yoga, all you really need is a $20 yoga mat and that's pretty much it. So uh, first off, I just learned that the niche, I should have done some more niche research to see what kind of monetization I could have made out of it. I know it's cool to get into something that you're passionate about, but you also have to think about the value of your time and to make sure that the niche you get into is monetizable. So that was one lesson I learned. Another lesson I learned is that the, the course that kind of taught me SEO told us to focus on one keyword, which was fine and dandy. You know, I drank, I ranked for yoga travel, but the rest of my website wasn't really optimized for anything. It was all focused on ranking one single keyword. And so I pretty much lost out on a whole bunch of different opportunities I could have ranked for yoga retreats and stuff like that. So it really, really falls back to um, you know, what Hannah and I talked about, keyword research and making sure you really, really plan out your main keyword for your, like, for your pillar articles and then your supporting content, which have keyword volume for them and making sure that you really have a lot of breadth to cover a ton of different keywords. So those are the two lessons I learned. Stick to, stick to a niche that, that can make you money. And in addition to that, do really, really good keyword research. Instead of finding one keyword to rank for like I did 10 years ago, just find 200 or 300 variations of different keywords that are related to the niche and shoot for that. So. Second time around, all right, I, I learned, took my lessons and I was like, okay, what I'll start doing is I'll just start ranking for reviews of a particular product. Of course, this is going to make money because I know people are buying the product. And I started to rank for ergonomic chairs, so ergonomic chair reviews. And after that, I did the keyword research properly. So I started to rank for basic ergonomic chairs, yoga ball chairs, kneeling chairs, other variations, even started to get into inversion tables because those uh, help people with bad backs, uh, massage tables, stuff like that, and did really, really solid keyword research. And also, you know, this was directly monetizable. People searching for yoga travel might just be searching for where to go on their vacation to learn yoga. But people searching for what's the best ergonomic chair are definitely looking to buy ergonomic chairs. This was the first game changer for me. And this ranking for these type terms was the, and having success with it, was the indicator to me that it was time to quit my job as an engineer and go into this full time. That, that's the difference, finding a monetizable keyword set and, and really, really doing awesome keyword research. So one of the things that we really focus on is to have people validate their their idea and the product that they are selling really, really early on with just one landing page and immediately start talking to people and start selling their product. So hopefully at that point, if they have a yoga website, they actually have a product that they validated that people were ready to buy for. But I still think it's very valuable what you said between uh, keywords where people are just looking for information and basically buyer keywords. Um, can you 
tell a little bit more about how we can find the difference between those two? Yeah, so there's a concept called the sales cycle. And I talked about this very recently at the Chiang Mai SEO conference. The sales cycle is basically a a model that salespeople that have used for quite some time, decades now, to try to figure out where people are in the process of buying something. So on the far right of the sales cycle, that means they're ready to convert. On the far left, it means they're not even close. And the different stages are they start with latent pain, meaning that someone doesn't even know there's an issue. And then they move on to acknowledged pain. And then they search. They move on to a stage called searching, searching for a solution and then searching for the best solution and then ready to convert. Or no, one more stage, searching for the best place to buy the best solution and then conversion. So if we, if we work our way backwards for the converting keywords, so the converting keywords, the most easy to convert keywords would be ones that say like buy, buy photography course or best photography course. So these are people that are ready to buy. They, they have their wallets out. They're just looking to see where to buy the dang thing or where to where the best place is to buy the, best, the dang thing or what is the best photography course, for example. So these are the, the ones that are really, really close. Um, the ones on the far end might be looking for stuff like uh, where to learn about photography or photography tricks or um, cool cameras for novice photographers, stuff like that. So those people aren't very close to buying, but look out for keywords like buy, best, and reviews. And these are ones that are, are very, very close. Okay. On your own website, how would you balance between those information and probably higher traffic posts uh, versus those buying keywords and those really close to the conversion? No, we're getting geeky. Okay, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh no, it's great because this is really, really new with the algorithm as well. So the thing is, uh, what I used to do before is I would just make websites that are completely gigantic, and I would try to get just all of them. If there's any keyword related to my topic, I'm just going to write about it, whether it's monetizable or informational or not. So. Now, what we've seen Google is able to do is kind of figure out what's the theme of your website. So if you have a very, very high balance of informational type keywords with re relation to your monetizable or review type keywords or best keywords or buy keywords, then Google's going to start to think, oh, OK, they're an informational website about photography. There's, they should start ranking for how to take black and white photos and stuff like that. But you've started to put yourself into a bucket where you're not the review website anymore if you get too too far on that end. Um, likewise, it goes the other way. If you're writing too many review type keywords and best camera for blah, 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 and best tripod for blah, 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 and you, you, you start to push it too far that way, then you're going to have a hard time ranking for the informational type stuff. And is this a good product of Google? Probably. I mean, they they're successfully like putting websites in their own buckets and having specialists based on the intent of the website. So for us, for people like you and I, and the, the listeners here, um, most likely we're building these websites with at least some intention of making money. So we have to keep a good chunk of it on the monetizable side. And right now I'm finding the sweet spot to be about 70, 30 monetizable versus informational. Okay. That's very interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, it's brand new. 
Okay, Matt, thank you very much. I think we covered a lot of different grounds. We know that we have to create our website five to 10 content pieces minimum, uh, have them interlinked and optimized with on-page SEO, and then start doing our 30-day challenge to outreach to other blogs and to get those backlinks and those guest posts. And then hopefully we will be able to get that traffic from Google and to get those conversions to our product. Is there anything you want to add or was this a good summary? Yeah, I think the just one more thing I would add is like uh, SEO is getting more complicated these days and it's always going to get more complicated. Uh, I would recommend you know picking up some kind of guide or picking up some kind of course related to SEO to just jump you jump you past the very very painful learning curve in SEO as the the learning curve does push out and the barrier to entry does push out day after day. So make sure you you find the right resources to start with and you should be good. All right. Thank you very much, Matt, for your time. Thank you very much. Take care. So there we go. That was Matt's basically SEO crash course for our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to see links to everything that we mentioned during this episode, if you want to leave a comment or a voice message, you can do so by going to the show notes. That's at activegrowth.com forward slash SEOmat, S-E-O-M-A-T-T. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So if there are questions about this, if there are things you'd like us to cover on future episodes, or if you simply want to leave a voice message, you can go to activegrowth.com forward slash SEOmat and you can push a button there and leave your message and we'd love to hear from you we like to answer comments any comments that come in on the blog we always try to answer and we love to hear back from you so thank you for your participation thank you for listening in and i'll catch you on the next one